The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Hey, what's up, Pelicans fans? Welcome to the Bird Rice. My name is Preston Ellis, and I'm the host for the new home to all things Pelicans on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. Follow us at the Bird Rice and get all the latest on your Pelicans at thebirdrights.com. It's me, Trevor Ritchie, in for uh, press analysis out again. Uh, Travis Tate actually wrote the recap for tonight's game against the Lakers, so he's out on this podcast. I have our editor-in-chief and our fearless leader, Ali Cosell, with me tonight. How are you doing, Ali? A lot better, as I was just telling you, Trevor. Man, what would have happened had they lost that game? Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. I don't know. Uh, The Pelicans picked up their first win of the season tonight, 119-112 to against the Los Angeles Lakers on the road. That's the first game of a three-game road trip. Um, Ali, let's just start with your overall thoughts on tonight. Well, I think they took an important step. You can say that they almost lost to a very beatable, one of the worst teams in the league. But you can look at alternatively and figure out that the Pelicans needed to take a step, and one of them was overcoming adversity. Um, they lost Rajon Rondo, as we know, before the reg- start of the regular season. So that put them behind the eight ball as to where this honest fell, or the honest fell upon, you know, not just Drew Hardy, but everybody to make the ball move, run the offense, and everything else. Um, and we saw that at times work throughout the preseason, the first couple of games, but overall it was not a consistent thing we've seen yet. They, um, th- you know, there's no left in the schedule. They've got to keep playing games every other day. So tonight, fortunately they were able to hold that streak longer. And we saw Jameer Nelson almost pay off dividends immediately as he entered the game. Uh, I know some people on Twitter remarking the guy hasn't scored yet or something like that, but he did have some assists and you notice the ball movement never died with the reserves, something we saw be a big problem in the last two games against the Grizzlies and the uh, Warriors. So not only that, but then come down crunch time. And, and I, I forget how much we were down. What were we down, Trevor? Five points or was it even more? 
I but, think it was um, five. Was it five? Yeah. I mean, typically this team would have folded by then. I mean, you go from being up, I think they're, they led by as much as 22 and then to be down by five, you might as well just go ahead and write that off and, you know, sign off on the night. But they held it together. And a big reason for it was Jameer Nelson. It's a floor general. I've been talking about this for years now with this team that they really haven't had that kind of leadership on, on the floor. Um, that's why I love the Rajon Rondo signing. You can listen to any of the summer podcasts. That's why I, was, I made such a, you know, I thought it was such a positive that Del Dent brought in a guy that was supposed to be disgruntled, but yet, you know, I saw his value. Um, so I don't know. I, I thought this was a very important win. Um, you can't just look at the stats. You can't look at, they lost, you know, a lead. Um, it's just, any team in the NBA, Trevor, and I don't have to tell you this, but a lot of common fans don't realize it, but any team on any given night can beat and almost upset any other team that's better than them. Um, it just comes down to a few plays, and it's how you handle it, how you go through it. And, you know, today was the first time in a long time I saw the Pelicans actually fight through what was a tidal wave, and uh, they came through on the other end. Ali, you touched on it a little bit. How did Jameer Nelson – after driving to New York City from Philadelphia today and flying from New York to Los Angeles for this game, he brought poise, he brought veteran play calling, he directed the offense, and he hit big shots. How did he do it? Thank God that he's 35 years old and he's been a vet of the league for a long time. You know, he, he wasn't phased by the moment. He's been there before. You know, it, it's like when tying your shoelaces, Trevor, Everybody does it, whether you're drunk, whether you're, you know, something's not, something's inhibiting your, your abilities. You still know how to do it. That's pretty much what I think it comes to for these veterans, um, like Jameer Nelson. You just step on the court, you know what you need to do. You kind of have a basic idea of your role and where your teammates are going to be. And it really helped. It really did help that he has played for Chris Finch. So, I'm sure he saw a lot of the similar actions and schemes out there on the court, so that made things easier. But then again, if you notice him on several drives, um, he, he just knew that there's Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. You know, he had that awareness. I'm playing with two super studs. If I just turn my head, I'm going to find one of those guys open. And he found one. Um, I don't know if you remember the play. He was driving right down the middle, and then a Laker kind of picked him up. So he had that shot or his threat. What was it? The threat of his shot could have been blocked. But he uh, had both either Anthony Davis or DeMarcus Cousins to toss it to him, flipping the Cousins, who uh, eventually converted the easy two. But it, it's just simple plays like that. Like, for instance, Drew Hawdy had a tough time. As soon as I come in, as soon as he got across half court, man, he was a totally different player. Defensively, I thought he was fine. But offensively, for a lot of the night, he just, just lacked that confidence. Um, and you can't have that. Everybody says, you know, he's a point guard that got signed for $150 million, But truly, the Pelicans had a plan, and they didn't sign him to be the point guard. Um, we saw it last year. He played a quarter of the time he played alongside another point. Um, he's just better suited off the ball. But again, um, and I know I'm getting a little off the topic here, but you, you can't overstate his lack of confidence this early season. That's a real big problem. But hopefully, somebody playing alongside somebody like Jameer, who kind of he knows that Jameer will be able to take that pressure off of his shoulders to initiate a lot of the offense. That may help Drew get out of his bunk earlier. I don't know. I, see, I just see a lot of positives from uh, Nelson. And he only played 24 minutes, but it, it's that veteran, floor general, savvy leadership, whatever, you know, whatever kind of 
uh, definitions you want to use. It's something the Pelicans have lacked. Now they have it. Now it's going to be real interesting watching how they move forward. While we're touching on Drew Holiday, he did finish the first quarter with 10 points on five of seven shooting from the field, two assists, one rebound, and one steal. Um, The Pelicans started the game on a 6-0 run. They finished the first up 12, and they entered halftime up 13. What did you see from maybe Drew in that first quarter, and what did you see from the Pelicans not only in the first half of this game, but essentially in the first half of the first three games that has allowed them to get off to these hot starts? Yeah, you could tell they made, um, coming out of the locker room, that was a big point to get Drew off to a good start. I think he had taken like probably four shots before either DeMarcus or Anthony had two. Um, And you know what? It's a good thing. And I I mean, you you see it as a positive, but yet I still saw like that hesitancy where his three-point shot didn't look good. And then there was this one take he had to the rim. I think it was somewhere around halftime. We scored a layup, but yet during his drive, he almost bobbled the ball. Um, I was afraid he was going to get called for a double dribble or something. He ended up like in all-in-one motion, like losing the dribble, shooting the layup, um, and but he made it. So I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you want me to say positives about Drew, but you know, I just didn't see him not on the offensive end of the floor. Uh, the stats look nice, but it's not the same guy I've seen in years past in the Pelicans uniform where. You know, he just was confident in all of his decisions, especially shooting the ball. Like, for instance, tonight, he had a couple of looks where he was dancing around a couple pick and rolls, and um, he was open. And if you're going to be the team shooting guard and you're renowned for, uh, you know, being a scorer, you've got to be able to take those shots. You've got to have the confidence to go ahead and put it up. Um, I would have felt a lot more comfortable, you know, if Holiday – was taking these shots, granted a more confident holiday, but still then Anthony Davis or DeMarcus Cousins launching those threes. You know, they combined to shoot two of 11 from three-point range tonight, and they did take a lot of good shots, but you know what? There was a lot of bad attempts, too, where there was either hand in the face or was rushed within the offense. I want to see the team cut those out, pure and simple. I'm fine with the team treating them as guards. um, Alvin Gentry and Chris Finch want them initiating a lot of the offense, but that doesn't mean I want these guys dancing around dribbling the ball a lot, and then shooting kind of an awkward three. And I saw that too many times, especially in the second half when things got close. But to finish off your question, I don't know how I keep walking off of your uh, topic here. I guess it's because of the late hour. But um, (laughs) the first half, we saw an offense that really worked the ball. They were patient. Um, I I noticed it, and I tweeted that out real early. If they just moved the ball around, they were going to find that seam because the Lakers' defense was horrible, Trevor. I'm sure you saw that, man. Um, <clears throat> a lot of times, it was just a layup, too. Uh, I think Jim Eisenhofer of uh, the Pelicans, he uh, tweeted out something like, what was it? On their two-point attempts in the first half, or maybe through three quarters, I can't remember which, the Pelicans made like 82%. Why? Because they were all layups, and most of them were uncontested. Uh, all they had to do was work the ball, and they did that very well in the first half. And the defense was largely okay. Uh, we still have problems getting in transition defense for some reason. I'm not sure what the problem is, <clears throat> but we'll have to look at, you know, go back and check the video. But for the most part, the first half was good. It was a positive. Uh, the team offense functioned. They moved well, and they found the open man, and the defense was acceptable. And, you know, Drew, Jameer Nelson, I think, being there kind of helped with the reserves because before – the last two games, as I mentioned earlier, the reserves have had a really tough time of, you know, 
keeping the Pelican ship abreast or afloat. I mean, you know, they've usually been the ones responsible for relinquishing the lead or at least part of it. So I saw a lot of positives in this first half. I do agree with you, Ollie. Some of those um, ill-advised three-point shots and, and poor transition defense contributed to how the Lakers were able to get back in this game. The, Laker, the Los Angeles Lakers went on a 25-9 to run at one point to get back in the game. Fortunately for Pelicans fans, New Orleans went on a 13-2 to run to finish the game and uh, finalize their first win. Um, what happened... You know, other than those ill-advised three-point shots and poor transition defense that allowed the Lakers to get on that 25-9 run? Oh, well, there was a lot of poor decisions offensively. We started going to one-on-one mode. I remember specifically DeMarcus Cousins trying to take it upon his shoulders, dribbling, over-dribbling. Uh, the ball wasn't being reversed either by uh, Cousins or AD. Uh, one play really sticks out in my mind, Trevor. Do you remember this one where Cousins kind of drove halfway into the lane, then kind of, you know, looked around. He had a couple of players on him. Then he continued to push the drive. Then AD kind of stepped away from the rim. It was bad spacing. And then Marcus Cousins flips him a pass that's, like, way too fast. Like, you know, 30, 40 miles an hour when AD's, like, four or five feet away, turnover. Um, that, that just seemed to be kind of the theme to when the Lakers went on that run. Just couldn't get in the right offensive set, you know, keep the spacing, let the offense flow. Just too much of that one-on-one hero ball again, just trying to do it yourself to, you know, you know, stem the tide, so to speak. Um, I don't know. What, what else did you see? For me, that was the biggest part. The offense kind of stopped functioning. Uh, Holiday kind of had, a, I think he coughed up a couple of bad turnovers as well. Um, I feel like um, the Lakers intensified their defensive presence. I feel as if New Orleans failed to match that intensity. I think that was part of the problem. So one of the plus sides of this was I didn't feel like the team panicked. I felt like uh, part of it I can attribute to uh, Jameer Nelson, but they seemed poised. They seemed to fall in line with that veteran presence. And uh, part of that helped them uh, get back into this game. Speaking of one of the things that we limited that helped us um, stay in this was uh, limiting Lonzo Ball. Ball played 36 minutes tonight, only had eight points on three of 13 shooting from the field. That is 23%. Uh, do you give uh, Drew credit in that department, Ollie? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I just real quick, I wanted to touch on when you said the Pelicans play with boys, but you know, during that stretch where it kind of got disheveled, you, you will agree with me, though, that they didn't look that boys, that they kind of did fall back into those nasty habits we don't want to see, correct? They did. I just mean from a from a demeanor habit, kind of. It wasn't a it wasn't as much of a a letdown on some of those plays. I think they I think part of it, and it, I guess this is what is is what I'm trying to say is that they they kind of understood after it happened that okay, I see what I'm doing. I think they're conscious of what they're doing wrong. I I don't I think I saw that more tonight than I've seen in the past two games. Um, but yet, but I do I do agree with you that they are falling. They fall into that ISO ball. They fall into where they allow DeMarcus Cousins or Anthony Davis to bring the ball up the court and just force an isolation for no apparent reason instead of moving the ball. But like I said, I feel like they were more conscious of once they lost that momentum and they saw things shift that they kind of realized. And like I touched on, probably a little bit behind Nelson, it seemed like tonight, that uh, they, they changed that up late. 
Yeah, he was huge. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you answered my question perfectly. Yeah, I kind of felt, I don't know, I guess I'm, I'm being harder on them than you are. But, yeah, I like your over point, overall point better there as to where the Pelicans did never kind of lose frustration. As to where you saw Cousins, like, kind of, or AD stopping, so to speak, after not getting a foul call or some arguing with the ref. Yeah, we saw none of that. Yeah, you're right, where they ultimately were just, like, resigned to, man, this isn't going my way. No, you're right. They kind of would just run back up the court, and then they wouldn't make the same mistake twice, more times than not, when it was going roughly. So, yeah, good answer. Thank you. Um, let's get back to what you originally asked me about Lonzo Ball. <laughs> yeah, I thought he was atrocious. Uh, I know he ended the night with, what am I looking at here, 13 assists. But his, his shot, and it's going to hold him back until he develops a consistent shot. Whoever guards him is going to be able to give him some space so he's not going to be able to go ahead and break down defenses, defenses as well as he should be able to with his skill set. Um, I think Holiday took advantage of it. I think a couple of times they got some key strips on him where he thought he could make a spin move, and I would see Holiday poke it out, and he gets an easy two on the other end. So it was a really big deal. I even noticed Lakers' uh, social media, their Twitter feed of their fans, clamoring that maybe Lonzo Ball shouldn't be brought back into the game, and they were right. Looking at this, he finished minus 24 in the plus-minus column. Um, that's easily the worst for the Lakers because when uh, Clarkson was in, uh, they that's when the Lakers won that big run. Everything seemed to be clicking for them at that time. Um, I just just in, I got a quote from uh, Jameer Nelson post-game. Um, he said, I think it's going to be a fun year. and will be a team no one wants to play, especially on the offensive end of the court. Um, after what we saw tonight and after hearing what he just said after the game tonight, just one game playing with the Pelicans, um, where do you see this team moving forward, and, and what do you see that Nelson can give us moving forward? I think the biggest thing is Nelson's going to be able to let Rajon Rondo uh, pace himself back you know, to the, the, the lineup, the rotation, whatever. I was really afraid that you know, bad start, no other real true point guard, although we were um, probably going to be in a lot of games, probably win a lot of games. For instance, we've got a pretty easy part of the schedule coming up after we play the uh, Portland Trail Blazers next this coming Tuesday. Um, I thought that we still had a good chance of going 6-6, six and six, but again, you know, a bad loss here or there may have pushed uh, Rajon Ronda to kind of hurry up on his uh, rehab timeline, and that, you know, is, could obviously turn out very badly as to where he injures himself or maybe he's just kind of hurting the team because he's not able to go 100% like he should or he'd be forced in a big minute role when obviously he any anybody that comes back from injury needs time to adjust back to the pace of the game with the teammates etc so having Jameer Nelson right away solves all those issues and on top of that now they've got a steady and I mean this guy like I said for 35 years or I'm sorry excuse me 35 years old so he's been in the league for what, roughly about 12, 13 years. <clears throat> and um, and we saw what he do, was able to do with the Denver Nuggets offense. Um, they, they finished as the best offense, I think, after Christmas last year. Once they put Nikola Jokic um, into the starting lineup at center, they took off. They were better than the Warriors, the Rockets, you name it. And it's often overlooked, but Jameer Nelson was their starting point guard. It wasn't Jamal Murray. It wasn't Emmanuel Moutier, two was a young stud full of potential. No, it's just the old guy who kind of just goes about and does his business, who is honestly a defensive liability. Um, I don't know if you know that, Trevor, but tonight he, he was beat 
beaten quite a bit, but I'm not sure, again, if that's more of the condi- lack of conditioning because, I mean, I don't know when's the last time he's even kind of pushed himself to be ready to play big men's in an NBA game. Um, so, But we'll have to monitor that going forward. But, again, that's not what the Pelicans need the most. They need just the guy, a heady playmaker out there who, like, for instance, I thought – you remember the one pass he made to uh, Ian Clark in the corner where he uh, started going to the right on the floor – and uh, he winged it across like three defenders and two of our guys to an Ian Clark, who unfortunately was standing out of bounds when he caught the pass. But we, I've never seen that pass yet this year by any Pelicans player. No, and I thought, be able to have picks, you know. And sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say all of the all of the talk that we had in the first half of the podcast. Uh, I think the first pass we touched on was the one to uh, Cousins on that strong drive. I thought the the pass that Nelson had to Clark was was the best one, regardless of if uh, it, it didn't contribute anything. Uh, I just thought it, it kind of opened your eyes and, and made you drop your jaw for a second and say, man, he's got that in one night, and he's seeing these guys. What is he going to do when he gets um, some chemistry with this team? So I completely agree with you that that was an incredible play. Yeah, for instance, I don't know. I mean, I've complained. I don't know. I, I, that's not the right word. I've just mentioned on numerous times that the biggest thing, um, biggest thing like holding this team back has not been the lack of shooting. It's been honestly decision making. Um, that's why I thought you know they won this off season. I thought they did a great job with the amount of money they had to spend. And so you, you got, I mean, I tweeted this out. You got Jameer Nelson who literally came off the street and he's able to make a pass like that, lead the team to victory. It truly shows what the, this team was missing. I don't know how anybody else can argue otherwise. Sure, they could probably use another three-point shooter or two, but which team can't on any given night? Somebody's not going to be performing um, well. But you still got to be able to have a guy who can get those easy, easy uh, looks, and that's something this offense has struggled immensely to do. So, yeah, I mean, Jameer Nelson, he may be a replacement player, but for this team, he's above above replacement. He's, he's, he's vital. He's necessary. And I hope we continue – to see him uh, kind of integrate himself with the team, which I don't see any reason why it won't, but lack of practice time may withhold some things, his, both his conditioning and learning the plays as such. But So expect some bumps, I guess is what I'm getting at. But again, I think it's all going to be slowly evolving to a better offense overall. And um, as long as we've got the patience, and thank God they've got a easier schedule coming up, but expect progress. I'm expecting improvement. Um, I think this this is the best outcome out, you know, three games into the season when everything looked really poor, really bad in preseason, and two losses start the season. I think things have really suddenly turned around, and people should take notice. Could you, speaking of expectations, could you see a world where even in the next game of, of this road trip against the Portland Trailblazers that Nelson finds his way into the starting lineup and – uh, to piggyback off of that, go ahead and give us your prediction for that game, Ollie. Sure, Trevor. Yeah, I do think he should be thrust in a starting lineup. I understand that you're taking a risk with conditioning possibly being an issue, but again, if that if that's truly a problem, just go ahead and take him out a little bit earlier. I think the more he gets to play with these starters, is the better it's going to be in the long run because Rondo's supposedly going to be out for another month. I think I saw Scott Kushner of The Advocate tweet that out so um another month's got to be what about another 12 13 14 games on the schedule so go ahead and put nelson out there because that's obviously going to be his role 
until Rondo does come back. So why not start in the next game? I mean, he played through 24 minutes, and I didn't see him huffing and puffing too much. Uh, did you? I didn't. I, I thought he looked great. I thought conditioning-wise that he was um, ready to go, and I agree with you that I think um, he would benefit a lot more from going ahead and being thrown into that starting lineup and maybe, like you said, if it becomes an issue, taking him out a little earlier than you would have. Yeah, because I mean, we both realize and know that the Pelicans have still, despite letting Cropper go, they've still got good guards uh, coming off the bench, which Etwan Moore would now become one of them again. Um, and you've also got Ian Clark, who, man, I've loved this dude ever since they signed him. And thank God he's shining because it's making me look good. <laughs> I know a few other guys have also liked him, but I'm telling you, this guy is so made for this offense. I just hope he gets to see a bigger role. I don't know if you caught it during the broadcast, but Joel Myers kind of made a reference to uh, Joel, the lack of minutes for Ian Clark tonight, um, where you know he should get more playing time, and it's hard to disagree. And this guy's on. If he's stroking that three, he, he's got to have him out there. I mean, do you see anybody else that can do the things that Clark can do for this offense? Uh, as far as providing a um, shooting presence on, on the outside, no. I, I, I think he's going to have the – purest shot of the guards this season he's going to have the uh, biggest go-to presence out there when it comes to um, looking to someone to shoot those shots and, and make some big baskets that we're probably going to need but I think more importantly than anything going back to to what you said about um, Jameer Nelson in the starting lineup I think uh, we've seen some of the argument already that you know should nelson be the starter moving forward instead of rondo and that argument can be made into an entire another episode of this uh of this podcast but um if the idea is when rondo comes back to start it makes it that much more pivotal to go ahead and put nelson in and and put drew back off the ball and get that veteran floor general role um kind of kind of some uh some reps in that offense you want to keep them in the mindset of of what that scheme is going to be when rondo comes back like i said if the mindset is that he will be starting um do you agree ollie yeah absolutely um i think it's something that we don't need to bother ourselves about right now it's going to work itself out these two guys are both veterans who truly do at the end of the day want to win um I will say, though, I, I expect to see Rajon Rondo eventually reclaim that starting role. And it's not so much as a fear of what he'll do if, if you know, forced to the bench or whatever. I just truly think that this um, the coaching staff really sees that their biggest need out of that position is the playmaking. And also defensively. Um, I don't think Jameer Nelson's going to, even though he'll get his conditioning up somewhat, he'll never be somebody that can be trusted. So with your starting lineup, you kind of want somebody that's more of a two-way player. And I know Rondo can't shoot, but I'm saying two-way player. The fact that he can make that offense go. And defensively, you know, he, he can cause havoc. So I think Jameer Nelson will be perfect off the bench. Um, you don't want this guy playing big minutes anyways because he, he's a lot older. So let's preserve him through an 82-game season. Although what we've got now 78 left. <laughs> Still a lot. Um, and that, that way, then Nelson can go ahead and acclimate himself to a role with these uh, reserves who honestly need a lot of help. Um, not that Ronda wouldn't be able to give them that boost. I just feel like that having everybody that comes off a of bench be a score, kind of be an, a, a threat, um, is easier on the rotation for coaching staff. So, I, I mean, 
I don't know. Again, it's not something we need to worry about now, Trevor. It's it's further, much further down the road. But I mean, I don't know. What what do you think? Do you have a preference for either guy, or do you honestly don't care? Just let the coaching staff make the best decision for the team. I have a preference towards Rondo just after what I heard from the team at media day, as far as how much they trusted in him, how much that um that core believes in him. It it seemed like immediately he became the team leader and the guy everyone looked to. He almost looks like he should be an assistant coach on the bench. He's um, always yelling calls. He, I, I think it was um, in the last game at one point going into halftime, he grabbed Drew and I just saw him walk into the tunnel with Drew Holiday, you know, just coaching him up essentially. I just kind of have a preference there because, like I said, I, I feel like I saw this team buy into him so quickly and I don't want that to get lost in what may become a a month period where Jameer Nelson really produces and then if that falls off at all we kind of scramble trying to implement a disgruntled Rajon Rondo back into the starting lineup so um I, that's kind of why I've, I lean into the camp of of Rondo right now yeah it's probably a good idea not to even try and uh get him you know to accept the bench role yeah you're absolutely right Another thing, though, we, we need to mention, Trevor, is to the fans is uh, or for the listeners is the fact that we just recently purchased on DeMarcus Cousins' website the Hot Boys hoodie. Uh, I can't wait to get mine. I know you're probably the same, but on it, I mean, as everybody should know, is Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins, Drew Hawley, and Ray John Rondo. I mean, I don't see Jameer Nelson on there, do you? <laughs> I, I don't, and I, you know, I might not would have would have bought it no hate to Jameer Nelson but I just think that those uh it's such a it's such a classic hoodie it's going to remain such a classic hoodie I can guarantee our listeners that probably 95 percent of the time I'm on this podcast I'll probably be wearing it once I get it I don't know about you Ollie but uh I'm excited yeah you know what Trevor I think the one mistake we made is we probably didn't buy you know replacements because we're kind of want to wear it so often <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious um, All right, so yeah, let's wrap this up. You asked me to give a prediction on Portland. Um, you know what? Now I don't know what to expect. Honestly, I thought for sure, you know, before the season started up to yesterday, actually even before this Laker game, it was going to be a, a loss for sure. Um, but now, you know, things are a little bit more interesting. And it's just because of that Drew Jameer Nelson dynamic. I think that there may be enough stability now in uh uh, along alongside Drew Holiday, along with the rest of the guards, to where DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis don't have to, you know, won't be able to or won't have to be forced to do all that decision making. They'll know they have an outlet that's confident. Um, I also think that's part of the reason why AD and DeMarcus do take a lot on their shoulders. They feel like they almost have to at times. And now with Jameer there, um, they won't. So, simply put, right? I went about it kind of the long way there in uh, giving you the response. But anyways, I think there's going to be a lot more fluid offense. And as long as it's defense, it's really going to come down to defense in this game. The offense now, I'm not worried about. It's going to be defensively, both the easy points we go up and trying to hold Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum to just like average games. You get one of those guys going off, and then suddenly we have to pay a lot more attention to whoever's their hot. Uh, score at the moment suddenly you're going to be leaving you know people rebounding and you know what they've got a lot of athletes not shooters athletes on the wings and um, underneath the rim so 
prediction, I'm still going to have to go with a loss. Maybe, maybe this will be a good thing. Maybe you know it's a little a jinx, reverse jinx, whatever action here. But I'm going to say that they fall to the Portland Trail Blazers about 112 to 106. It'll be a good match, though. What about you? <laughs> well, we can uh, we can only hope that's a jinx. Uh, I'm I'm in the same uh, same lane as you. I thought before this game that we could uh, chop that one up to a loss um, with the performance we saw in the preseason and kind of the uh, second half struggles that we've had. And like you said, at this point, I don't really know what to think. I think I'm leaning into the win column. I don't know um, how much our backcourt can limit uh, McCullum and Lillard, but uh, I, you know, I think it's going to be close regardless, Um, but I'm going to go, I'm going to have to, uh, Go to the contrary of you, Ollie, and I had to think about it for a second, but I'm going to go with a win. I'll probably flip your score and go um, like 112-106 in uh, New Orleans' favor. And I think um, with that, we've covered everything. Ollie, do you have any final comments? No, other than, like I said, we said at the beginning of the podcast, thank God they won because the despair would have been unbearable. Ollie, where can they follow you at on Twitter? Yay. You can follow me under my name, Ollie Cussell, all one word. Um, I'm always on there, and um, oftentimes we'll just go ahead and post things on the bird rights, all one name, too, on Twitter. You know, whoever's got access, we, we try and use that Twitter account a lot to get, you know, all the information, analysis, news out to the fans, because really that's what it's all about. Our main thing here at the bird rights is always just trying to make this the most enjoyable thing um, as to where, you know, we can all share in the glory or cry together in grief. <laughs> that is right. That's Ali Cosell. I'm Trevor Ritchie. You can follow me at Ritchie TMR. That's R I T C H I E T M R. And like Ali said, it is all about the fans, but what we need you to do as the fans and the listeners is to go like rate share, whether you like it or not, um, more importantly, rate. We're down on those ratings. We have a ton of downloads, and, and we need to we need to get those five stars up. So please rate us. And um, this is the Bird Calls SB Nation, the Bird Rights Podcast. Go Pels! Thanks for listening to the Bird Rights on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. Now, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching the Bird Rights NBA Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at The Bird Rights for all the latest and best coverage on your pals. And if you really like the show and you want to show us even more love, give us a rating and review on iTunes. Your help has gotten us to more than 35,000 downloads at this point. A feature on Blog Talk Radio on the main page and a spot here on Dash Radio's new basketball concentrated network. And as always, if you have any questions, direct them to at Preston Ellis and we'll answer them by the next show. Let's go pals! The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. 
And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to Geico. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance.